Welcome to Sports, Clips, and Politics with your hosts, Ben Husong and me, Sean Hannon. Welcome to episode 131 of Sports, Clicks, and Politics. I am Sean Hannon, joined as always by the wonderful, charming, handsome, three for three elegant, today. elegant, classy. I don't know. You should come up with some adjectives for me so I can describe yourself better. We'll put them in a resume or something. Let's just hit Chad GPT. Up. Mr. We'll ben Husong, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to, uh, again, the... Another Monday uh, live uh, show here uh, for the folks here at home. Uh, Great to be here. Always. Sorry I was late. Today was on me. Two weeks in a row Ben was late, just yeah. for the record. I was, at, I For had, those playing at home and keeping score. So I, I, my timing was a little thrown off because I ended up having to stop at the bank, and that was not on my pre-show list Did of things Did it shut down while you were in line? No. Can but, I tell you a story real quick? Absolutely. I haven't told anybody this story yet. Well, now there's just the two of us. Let's hear it. I'm leaving work at like 1.24 a.m. the other day. I had a party at the place. And uh, I go to my trusted McDonald's near my house because there's not much open at 1.24 a.m., correct? Not in this city. 1.24 is where I actually get in line at the drive-thru. So I apologize for all you health nuts out there, but it's 1.24 a.m. Give me a break. 1.24 a.m. I get in line. I'm like, I don't know, seven cars not 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 terrible for this that this is uh, this is not I'm way in I feel like oh I'm, this is going to be easy. I this is normally has two drive-through lanes too. One is closed cuz it's Saturday night. It's 1:30 in the morning. Okay. All right, my bad. Keep going. Anyway, at 2:04 a.m., I get to order my food. Wow. So now it's 39 minutes. I've been waiting for six cars to move. And I'm like, this is crazy. Other cars had pulled off and left. Wait a minute. We got to revisit these times because they're not in my head. What time did you get in line? 124. And what's that? 204. Yeah. So four, what, almost 40 minutes. Come on. Yeah. So anyway, honestly, I've been there longer and I have things to keep me occupied while I'm in line there. So sure. um, I, I, the person in front of me orders some convoluted thing. Like they correct it 16 times. Like it's terrible. I get up there. They're like, we're no longer taking orders. Ooh. I'm like, what? <laughs> so after a, a protest of mine, then I was like, there's zero in my head. I'm like, there's zero chance I'm ordering here because I'm getting a loogie in my burger. I'm like, goodbye. I'll, you know, I'm out of here. So anyway, that was a terrible. Uh, Ouch. Yeah. That, I mean, it's very disappointed. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's probably better that you didn't eat. A hundred percent. Actually, like factually correct. All right. So like I'm really mad that you couldn't poison yourself. At I'm just saying. Night. But I get it. I get I'm the frustration. Sorry. You are a much more patient human being than I am. There is a 0% chance I would wait in a drive through line for 40 minutes. You're, Zero. you're a better person than I am. 0%. No doubt. Yeah. It, at 10 minutes and I hadn't moved, I would have been so irate. Like, I'm not eating. Yeah, here. that's you're you're not fit to order through McDonald's no, drive through at 24 a.m. I, honest to God, with the exception of buying my wife Diet Coke from McDonald's, could not tell you the last time. I was in a McDonald's restaurant. Well, I haven't been in a McDonald's in I mean, maybe a decade. McDonald's. Okay. I mean, I mean, I guess it, like maybe some fries, my Happy Meal at some point. But I just like I don't eat there for obvious reasons. Um, but man, forty minutes in line to only be told no—that's cold blooded. Yeah, no, I was I was devastated. That is cold blooded. I was I'm like, sorry. Yeah, no, like listen, devastated. You know, I was hungry. 
just to say the least. So, it sounds. I mean, I can't imagine why else you would have waited 40 minutes in a McDonald's drive-thru so line. So for those uh, who can feel my pain, uh, leave a like on the show here and share the video with all your friends. And uh, for those of you listening at home in frustration, maybe you're in line in a drive-thru. But leave, we, us a, leave us a five-star rate and review for my frustration. So when we first opened the ice cream shop, we had somebody come in. It was like the inside closed at 9, and then the drive-thru closed at 9.30. And it turned out this person was a very good friend of mine and a good customer that has been there a lot with his family. And they went to go at like 8.56, and we weren't there. Kristen and I were not there. So one of our employees who had gone out to empty the outside garbage said, sorry, we're closed at 8.56 to a man with his daughter at 8.56 p.m. said no. Didn't even say like, hey, the drive throughs open or all right, listen, come on in, we'll take care of you. Nah, just said, sorry, we're closed. So he sent me a text like, bro, what happened? It's like, oh my God, are you kidding me? And so I apologized profusely. And then he said, well, you know, here's the kick, man. I was like, I'm sorry, this is going to make you feel worse, but I'm just going to tell you. It was because she was four years old at the time, had to get stitches. And we told her if she was brave, we would take her to get a Sunday at Charlie's ice cream afterwards. And that's why she sat on the table and got sewed up. I was like, <gasps> I almost killed a human being. Like, thank God I wasn't there. I would have, I would have reacted stronger, but I called the shop and just laid into this kid up one side and down the other. And he quit the next day. Uh, probably better for both. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was the end of things his usually work out. tenure at, uh, at Charlie's ice cream. Yeah. Things work out sometimes. So let's talk about some local sports, Mr. Hughesong. It's not really even sports, but this is how we do sports here. We don't do box scores. No, we don't do play by play analysis. No matchups. No, we do weird sports stuff or and, and on the side, you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, you know, sports, sports on the side. Here. So, I'm guessing many people are aware of this nationally, but this is kind of like a new uh, burgeoning thing in college athletics is this NIL, right? Name, sure. Naming, imaging, and licensing, I think is uh, what it stands Name, for. Name, image, and likeness. Likeness. So this is a way for college athletes to monetize their existence, basically, sure. um, through NCAA-sanctioned means, I guess, right? So we're still dealing with the NCAA here, so, you know, we're always going to have to deal with that. But um, here at Syracuse University, our local hometown school here, uh, pretty, you know, well-known school. I don't think sure. I have to uh, do too much uh, uh, explanation of that. But um, they have not transitioned into this NIL era uh, seemingly all that well so far. So, um, first of all, the main programs, the SU football and SU basketball, who will, you know, they, these can happen for any athletes, but these are the two main programs that our university and the athletics right. departments are going to get measured by for sure. Even though we have, you know, stellar lacrosse and national champion soccer, whatever. we have other strong athletic teams, but by all means, you're getting measured by your basketball and specifically our basketball team here, because we've been such a powerful basketball program. So one of our biggest basketball uh, supporters, a local uh, businessman here, uh, Adam Weitzman. Some might even say local celebrity. Yeah, I, I would, whatever the uh, merger of Syracuse and celebrity is, he is that. He's probably the, the number one of that. You know what I mean? Like, if you're not talking about the Carmelo Anthony and maybe Jim Beheim who are directly above him. But they're, they're literally part of the program. Yeah. This is a, you know, a person who has, a businessman who has just made a name for himself. I would say exclusively through SU Athletics because he's got a big Instagram following and whatnot. He does a bunch of crazy stuff. So he's uh, got a following, and he is a huge SU fan. 
so it goes. I've never met the man, so I don't know if you have or not. But now, um, I he self admitted SU fan. So he has had a long history uh, of bringing well known uh, other sports and non sports entertainment celebrities to SU games. Sits him front side, you know, courtside, right next to the bench, you know, in an effort to draw attention to the program. Sure. Um, so this is seemingly, and my, I, and again, I'm not super up on this, but in my world where I was becoming familiar with the NIL, this seemed like a perfect match, right? I was like, okay, you got a guy with seemingly an endless amount of money willing to spend it on the program in benefit of the program. And now you have this new avenue for him to do it legally, right? And so, and let me, uh, I probably should uh, turn the page here. April 13th, Adam Weitzman, I will no longer support Syracuse Athletics with NIL and celebrity appearances. So uh, we see here Adam Weitzman with, uh, um, I think he's, oh, yeah, this is Odell Beckham Jr. here. Yep. I don't know. Giannis came, I think. Um, Jalen Hurts. Tom Brady, uh, jo- Josh Allen. Um, there's been, yeah, Tom Brady. And uh, he brought in Edelman, I think was both yeah. of them with him. Uh, so there's, he, you know, those are big time names, right? Sure. I mean, they're, it's hard to get bigger than Tom Brady. Um, and so I don't know how to measure that in value. You know, right. what I, you know, it's, and I don't know that anybody really does. I'm sure there's people out there with some algorithm that try to figure it out. But um, this kind of came as a shock in a sense because it came out of, out of the blue, I feel like, yeah. you know, like publicly at least anyway, whether or not there was something, uh, you know, brewing in the back or not. But it turns out that the uh, Weitzman had tried to, uh, th- through this article, it seems as though, tried to get a hold of the uh, chancellor and the uh, AD here to try to be like, okay, here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. And they kind of rebuffed his uh, uh, proposals there and basically said, we'd rather not use him in our NIL. So it got word got back to him and now, uh, it seems the perfect marriage for the program has uh, gone up in flames. Now there's other NIL, you know, entities that are out there trying to generate funds for, for athletes there. And, and, you know, I say to at to Weitzman's credit, he did say he would honor any existing NIL agreements he has. So he's not like he's bailing on the arrangements he's made right, with, right. with previous athletes. He's just not going forward. He's not going to do any new NIL agreements. So I don't know what's, Again, this is really kind of uh, local uh, localized, but it's, uh, you know, the, the university basically made it seem like there was a concern that the that he wasn't doing it the right way or the legal way or that there was a, at least there was an insinuation that by distancing themselves from Weissman, they were protecting the university and the athletic programs from Adam Weitzman. I think it's a cop out. Like I, I don't know why. I, I think Weitzman and Bayheim were very close. I think so. We're pretty good friends, and I think that was the nature of the relationship more so than the school being a big fan. And then, you know, you hear rumors about how he had full run of the place, and that made some of the people in the in the admin and the chancellor's office uncomfortable that uh, he was given such open access to their prestigious university, which I get. Um, but. I I agree with you. It should have been a match made in heaven because Syracuse, with name, image, and likeness, all that means is that they're still not paying basketball players. Like, the school still cannot pay anybody to play basketball at the school. They can give them a scholarship, cover their food. That's it. Name, image, and likeness just meant uh, if you uh, happen to be a local celebrity, and I always, the, the 
number one example I always go to for this is Jerry McNamara. Imagine Jerry McNamara that year was able to profit off of his name, image, and likeness. He would have made money to hand yep. over fist. Cool. And why not? Like, he's a he's an amateur athlete. He's not being paid, but he can go do a celebrity appearance. He could go on and sign basketballs and appeared at bars, and people would have paid him handsomely. I have no issue with that. I think that's a great idea. So Syracuse is a small enough town that if you can get some of these B-plus recruits in, like, hey, even after you go to the NBA, you will still always be loved here. If you give, like, two good years at Syracuse, you could set yourself up financially. But apparently the university wants to go in another direction. Yeah. I mean, let me bring up this uh, one side note here, and maybe this is uh, uh, related or maybe it's not. Syracuse University top lawyer returning to private practice. So Dan French is leaving Syracuse University after nearly 10 years as senior vice president and general counsel, a role that made him a trusted advisor to Chancellor Kent Severud, the university's board of trustee leadership across the campus. So I'm guessing the senior vice president and general counselor and the, and made him a trusted advisor of Chancellor Kent Severud was probably in the chancellor's ear about I would the, assume. the legal ramifications of uh, Weissman's NIL arrangement. So the fact that he's leaving, do you think that uh, maybe there's some uh, second thoughts going on here? And like, you know, maybe this guy was, listen, I'm literally, it's all conjecture at this point. I'm, it, but it came out that the timing of this is not, sure. can't be, I mean, it could be a coincidence, but okay. Um, it seems as though, this could have been some kind of uh, reaction or at least uh, uh, some related note here because I got to imagine this guy was part of the discussion whether or not they should use Adam Weitzman. Or if there was, I guess I should say it this way, if there was concern about Adam Weitzman, I'm sure this guy was at the very top of the discussion. Yeah, I would assume. I mean, and here's the thing. The rules for name, image, and likeness right now, it's like the Wild West. Like, anything goes. This was not well thought out before they installed this. They have no safeguards. They have no good limits on it. It is the Wild West. It is. You have guys just saying, like, hey, I'll pay you $5 to come play for Michigan. Like, it's just blatant. And it's not what they wanted it to be. So they're going to reform the rules as time goes on. And I guess Syracuse is taking a very conservative approach to this of, like, hey, that's not going to be allowed long-term. What if we get in trouble? And they've gotten in trouble in the past with sure. the NCAA. Some would even allege the NCAA unfairly targeted Syracuse University in some of their measures. I mean, the NCAA, there's nothing good to say about the NCAA. No, that's what I mean. It's probably true, but they probably went after other places too and just were less successful. Um, so I think now is a, all right, if this is what it's going to be, then this is what it's going to be. It's not how I would do it if I were in charge. I would be like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, even if you don't like the dude or whatever, like – it was he's throwing cash at you. What are you doing? And it was like, listen, let the rich guy have his ego fed. All right. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm saying. Just work with him. I'm saying that. Yeah, I get it. He's, he's kind of obnoxious and he's over the top. And, it's yeah, like, and I don't even know that he is. I, I mean, I mean, he seems to be. And even if he's, if it is, so what? Yeah. He's rich and he wants to benefit your program. And all he wants to do is look important in the meantime. Like he's not asking for a whole lot from what I can gather. He just wants the clout that comes with this. And he wants you to acknowledge him. All right, that's not too yeah, much. Listen, I'm assuming it's a win-win for this dude, right? So he's helping the program that he wants to win. Yep. He's drawing attention there. He's bringing notoriety, whatever. Listen, I'm assuming some of these young 18, 19-year-old players think it's awesome that Odell Beckham Jr. is sitting, like Giannis is sitting back there, right. these musicians, whatever. Like, the, he's doing what the play. – I'm assuming he's catering to the players. Now he's not right. catering to 
you know, 50 year old fanboy over here, right? So he's catering to the players because that's how the programs get better. They, they get better players. That's fair. And so if I was the AD specifically, I would be pushing back on any kind of chancellor. I'm like, listen, you, we can't cut ties with this guy. Like, yeah, it's too, it's too good of an arrangement, I feel like. So he would have to be extreme, you know, Adam Weitzman would have to be a huge problem child for me to, even if I hated the dude, I'd be like, all right, well, we're going to figure out how to, you know, make this work for all parties involved. And yeah, if he gets extra Instagram followers because of it, who cares? Even if he gets extra business at his restaurant, good, good yeah, for him. Whatever. Yeah. Wh- how is this? Who cares? Yeah, this is not, this is not a, it seems there's more to the story. There almost seems there has to be. Like, I can't. If there's not more to the story, the decision by the chancellor makes no sense No sense. It's so stupid. Right. So, I don't know what to say about all that, but I don't know. I figure, like, it was seemingly uh, this new era of, you know, supporting or financially supporting these athletes, which I'm all in favor. I've long been in favor of. I mean, like, like back back when, what's his name, uh, Johnny Manziel there was, like, getting in trouble for signing footballs. I'm like, who cares? Right. Like, he's signing footballs. Listen, Let I him get paid. Who I don't cares? even think you have to pay the players, uh, but I do think you the idea that you would ban them from making money off their own name right. image and, like, this is insanity. And not only that, they're not allowed to work. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. That's crazy. What? Like, how stupid is it? That That's NCAA dumbness. So, anyway, we'll see how this goes. Maybe there'll be some, uh, maybe now that the uh, legal counsel has uh, left the program there, maybe there'll be some... Uh, um, bridge mending, maybe because it would be seemingly beneficial for everybody involved. I'm like Adam Weitzman was immediately courted by colleges across the country for his money, and he was like, "I'm not going to do that to any rival of Syracuse. I'm I'm a Syracuse fan. I'm not going to go help Duke. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. So uh, he did not say no when asked if he was going to uh, start supporting a Binghamton. All right, because he lives down there. Sure. So, uh, my boy, I don't, did you ever meet uh, Sean Colella, golf prodigy from Bellevue, young kid, 17? He's at Binghamton now. Good for him. I got to connect it to. That's my ticket to the Masters. Did I ever tell you? No. He said if I get to the Masters, I get to be his caddy. Yeah. I got that going for me. You got that going Mr. for Mr. Colella, I hold you accountable. I hold you to your word, too, because this was uh, written in blood at the bar. So, he was drinking Diet Coke. Don't worry. He was 16. I'm just saying, Diet Coke and a club sandwich, I think he used to get. Anyway, let's move on. I, I think, I don't know if I sent you both these links, but let me read this headline for you. Man ends life after an AI chat, chat bot encouraged him to sacrifice himself to stop climate change. Yikes. Did I send you this? No. <laughs> let me read this a little bit longer. A Belgian man reportedly ended his life following a six-week-long conversation about the climate crisis with an artificial intelligence chatbot. So we've talked about these chatbots, uh, uh, ChatGPT, whatever. Um, this one is uh, uh, Eliza, an yeah. AI chatbot on an app called uh, Chai. So I'm guessing this is obviously just some different version of what we've been talking about here. But uh, so... The story goes that the chatbot encouraged this gentleman to end his life to help the climate, the earth. And he was a pariah. He was a he was a a, a, a cancer on the planet, and so uh, therefore he had to end his life to help climate. Listen, it's a headline. 
It's a real story. <laughs> so I haven't heard anything from you yet. So um, <laughs> I know you're still placing, b- bouncing this around in your head. Yeah, here, I'm but, trying to make sense of this. Um, let me see if I can have some additional. Uh, I feel like I, I'd read this. Let me see if. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're talking. Was about this man like, obviously he had to be. He was married. Up. He was married. Married. No. Yeah. Father. Uh that I don't can't remember if he had. I feel like he did have a couple kids. Now oh, that you say that, God, then this is just depressing. Yeah. So without these conversations with the chap, my husband would still be here. That's from the wife. Oh boy. Um, I I, I only bring this up because it seems unbelievable that sure. someone would just. I mean, the dude knew he was talking to a computer the whole time. It wasn't like he was like catfished, right? Like right. it wasn't like he was. Oh no, like I'm talking to some climate scientist. Yeah. In a, you know, some kind of an affair thing. He was literally talking to a computer on purpose and the computer convinced him that he was an idiot and should kill himself. And I only bring this up because Joe Rogan. Yeah. I sent you this. I know you did. Did yeah, you, you did you listen to any of it? No. What? I, You're going to right now. Okay. So Joe Rogan issues a warning after AI generated version of his podcast. I'm going to play some of this for you. And until it gets creepy. So hopefully this all works at home. I, I, I'm all set up for it. Joe Rogan podcast, check it out. The Joe, Joe Rogan, Rogan experience. Joe Rogan podcast by night, all day. Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen welcome, welcome to the, to the very, very first, first episode, episode of the Joe, Joe Rogan, Rogan AI experience. experience. I'm your host, I'm your host Joe, Joe Rogan. Rogan. Or at least, or at least that's, that's what this AI model thinks, thinks I sound, sound like. like. Let me tell, Let you, tell folks, you folks, this is this some, some next level, level stuff, stuff we've got, got going, going on, on here today. today. Every, Every single, single word, word of this podcast has been generated with the help of ChatGPT, the cutting-edge AI language model developed by OpenAI. I am, I am not, not the real, real Joe, Joe Rogan. Rogan. Let me repeat, Let me repeat it, it once more. more. I, am I am not Joe Rogan. Rogan. And the guests, and the guests are, are not the people they, they portray. This is this purely, purely fiction. fiction. Just for just fun. For so fun. Don't go so around making little, little clips, clips for your TikToks and, and make the, the world believe I said things, things I never said. Nothing in this podcast should be taken as said by the real people they portray. This is purely for entertainment purposes and an experience showcasing the amazing advancements in AI technology. So sit back, relax, and let's dive into this AI-generated world. Let's get weird, folks. It's time to welcome our first, our first guest to the show, and I've got and to I've say, got to say this, this is a big, big one. one. We've got, We've got none, none other than, than the CEO of OpenAI, Sam, Sam Altman, Altman joining, joining us today. today. Sam's Sam Sam been at the forefront, forefront of the AI industry, industry for years, years and, it's and it's an honor, honor to, have to have him on the show. On the show. So let's so give, give a warm, warm AI-generated AI welcome to Sam, to Sam Altman. How are you doing, doing Sam? I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me on the show. Sam. This whole, this whole AI-generated AI generated podcast, podcast thing is thing pretty, pretty wild. wild. It's like it's we're like living, living in the future, you know? You know? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's a strange, strange experience, experience, but it's also, it's also incredibly, incredibly exciting. exciting. The advancements in AI, AI technology, technology have come a long, long way, way, and it's, and amazing, it's amazing to see what we can, what we can achieve with the tools, with the tools we already have at our disposal. So let's so dive right in. Right in. Your company just released a new tool called ChatGPT. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and what it does? Sure, so ChatGPT is an... AI language model that's been trained on a massive amount of text data. What this what means, means is that uh, it's, able it's able to generate, generate text, text that's almost indistinguishable from text written by, written by like a human. It does, it does this by um, uh, using, uh, using a process, a process called, called deep learning, learning where, it's, where been it's been trained on a, a uh, massive data, data set of text. text. And it's, and able, it's to able to use that, use that training, training to uh, generate new text that's coherent and grammatically correct. And the cool thing is that... The more data it's trained on, the more accurate and diverse its responses can be. 
that's insane. So let's say I ask ChatGPT a question right now. It's going to use that deep learning process to generate an answer on the spot. Exactly. And what's even more impressive is that uh, it can also generate answers in a conversational style, which is why it's able to um, generate a podcast like this. It's able to keep track of the conversation and uh, generate responses that are relevant to the conversation at hand. Wow. So, weird, no? Super. I found it more weird the get uh, the, because I know Joe Rogan. Like I could tell there were certain cadences and words, and like the way he ended sentence, there was too. Like it wasn't conversational. Like there was a little bit too much. I would say punctuation is the wrong word, but there was too much structure to the actual sentences. I guess as opposed to where, I'm not saying that Joe Rogan doesn't have structured sentences i'm just saying that there's a conversation there's a yes. there's a give and take at the end of some sentences where like things things are just implied by the receiver but the the sam altman because i never knew this dude i never heard this guy speaking before my whole life that seemed like a real inter like he there was like ums and errs and like what like he it 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 seemed natural yeah. at that end and again because i have no reference to pull from i have endless uh references to pull from for joe rogan my question to you is, Mr. Hughesong, are you worried that you have 131 episodes of voice and uh, text out there that there's going to be a fake Ben Hughesong coming here to a world at some point in the near future? I wasn't. <laughs> so you just said that. Uh, I, I don't think anybody's going to take the time to create a second one of me. I'm, I'm just... I'm, not yet. I'm not that big of a deal. Um I also, good God, if, if there was two of me, imagine if I could get done. That, there's there's temptation in that one, I'll tell you what. Well, if you could use the v virtual version of you to do, like, your Zoom calls and financial Saying. meetings, whatever, then you could just go run the the ice cream shop. Because it's yeah, hard to do that. Else. Yeah, AI it's, wish. It, it would be <laughs> difficult, to say the least. Um, no, it's, it's, it's terrifying. And um, so, because it seems so realistic, I, I just, I don't want to... I don't want to give credit to the guy who offed himself in the article that we just talked about, but like if he, if it's, if it's so realistic that you're super engaged, like that dude could have just got, he literally just got lost. I mean, literally you started that sentence. Of, I don't want to give credit to the guy who yeah. offed himself, well, I, but yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's an amazing First time I ever said that. that we're ever saying. All right. <laughs> so I, listen, I, Yes, I agree with you. I don't think they nailed Joe Rogan's voice. There were certainly distinctions that you could pick up on where it did sound too correct. His is it sounded like somebody trying to yeah, mimic Joe right, Rogan. Right, right. And then the other guy, I don't know either. But here's here's where my fear comes in. Obviously, yes, I could tell you after within five minutes of listening to that that that's not really Joe Rogan. If you gave me the context, I could figure that out. This no, that being thing, said, you knew it wasn't real Joe Rogan right. ahead of time. So, like, if you just heard that. Like in the background, yeah. Even then, you might have been like, it would have oh, caught Joe me. You would you, you would have been Joe Rogan's on the air in the background, right? right? And then you might have been like, wait, that doesn't sound like, like right. And then I've been like, wait, especially on a short clip, it would have been all right. Well, give me the full context of it. Yeah. And if you gave me two minutes, I've been like, no, nah, that's not really Joe yeah. Rogan. It's definitely that's a that's a deep fake or whatever. But the reason I still find it so uh, maybe concerning is the right word is that this site's only been around for like a year. Imagine what this place is going to be like. And they're not the only one. No, this is terrifying. Like they're going to be able to do this for real, for real within about a year of it. You won't be able to tell the difference. We can just do a show every week and won't have to show up. We would never even have to be here. That would be <laughs> like, that's so scary to me of like, wow. 
And if it's already so persuasive that it is, uh, it, it's got at least one gentleman to end his life. Like that's insanity. I and like I said, I've seen some of the video ones that are pretty crazy too. Like I haven't yeah. shown any of those. This is just audio, but they have video ones too. So, and that's wild. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's coming scary. soon. I, it's cool and it's exciting. Don't get me wrong, but you know we're gonna use this for stupid purposes. You like you know human beings are not ready for this. We're not even really ready for the internet and social I, media. I can't wait for the AI OnlyFans. Oh, what? Then there's no exploitation. That's fair. <laughs> That's, you're about to get into some moral gray areas. Oh, you, you don't think that's where people are going to go with it originally? Like the world revolves around sex and money? Like Obviously. those are the two things that AI is going to go after. Listen, like the Nigerian print scandal is about to make a comeback. Oh, yeah. And it's going to be epic, super good. Yeah. Like it's going to be tempting to, even for like the average person of average intelligence to be like, maybe this dude really is in trouble. Yeah. Should stop getting kidnapped. Maybe I should send him money. Yeah. And it's going to be happened to me like four like times. The, the scamming will be bad. The 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 adult stuff's gonna be super creepy. Yeah, it's a weird world. Oh God, people get offline. Go do stuff. <laughs> Go touch grass. God, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to something way more chipper, uh, cheery. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein, and uh, what? I didn't cover this when it happened. We we covered a little bit of it. We just talked about how a bunch of billionaires were gonna be deposed. Yeah. Um, for the uh, one of those being Jamie Dimon. Um, I don't know what it was a few weeks ago with Jess Daly. We talked about, I think, the uh, Sergey Brin. Yep. And then Mortimer. Mortimer, the, the guy yeah. that doesn't even have a job. <laughs> He's just rich. Yes. The rich dude named Mortimer. <laughs> Did you already float that idea by Chris yet? Uh, if we do have another child, it will definitely not be named Mortimer. <laughs> but it seems like such an advantage. I, I agree. All right. Well, we'll move on. So let me read this. Uh, I pulled purposely pulled this up from CNBC. J.P. Morgan CEO, Jamie Dimon, and then, quote, knew in 2008 that Epstein was a sex trafficker, lawyer argues. Now, this is, again, stems from the uh, U.S. Virgin Islands versus J.P. Morgan, uh, where they are claiming that J.P. Morgan knew about uh, that their accounts, that Jeffrey Epstein's accounts were used for his sex trafficking operation. Naturally. Uh, specifically, they should point out that Jess Daly, the former president or CEO, whatever it was, of... Uh, J.P. Morgan was actually involved, participated in, if you will, the sex trafficking organization. Um, they don't have that same connection for Jamie Dimon, but sure. the insinuation is that he knew about this. And I bring this up only because I came across a new article, a newer article um, from Whitney Webb, who just loves talked about writing about the Epstein stuff and she's just, terrific. just cites like so many different things. It's great. Her rabbit holes are endless. Like they literally, there's no end to them. And this is another one. So this is a, uh, uh, she's, I think the way I read it was this is going to be a four part series. And this is the first, uh, the rise of Jamie diamond. And she basically goes through and I'll read this here, I guess as the sub uh, title here, as JP Morgan's ties to Jeffrey Epstein's are being scrutinized in court. Whitney Webb reveals how the same powerful players who brought Epstein to prominence were largely responsible for the rise of J.P. Morgan CEO, Jamie Dimon. And these include people like Larry Summers and Bob Rubin. And, you know, Bob Rubin is the guy who, uh, as uh, Whitney points out, uh, was the first person to invite Jeffrey Epstein to the White House in 1993. So former Treasury Secretary for Clinton and uh, among other things, uh, big Goldman Sachs guy. Uh, but him, Larry Summers, uh, Sandy Weil. So they, she, she, she outlines basically the 
maybe I'll call it controlled implosion of banks to consolidate them into super banks so that they become too big to fail kind of thing. So mm-hmm. she outlines the, um, um, you know, Jamie Dimon and uh, uh, with Citicorp uh, was kind of working his way up there, made his thing. Then he, uh, her, him and Sandy Weil had a split. He ends up at like one bank one. And then they basically threw them a bunch of mergers, travelers and whatnot. Um, JP Morgan is, you all know, right. the end, Id- the end entity of all these mergers. And she kind of outlines how uh, these certain banks put themselves in precarious situations and to get bailed out, they were absorbed by these larger banks, um, which, you know, in a, in a world where they're allowed to fail, I have no problem with banks being gigantic if they want to absorb other banks, but when they get so big that they, and do stupid things and they fail and then they get bailed out, there's a problem. And they basically got to a point where they are quote unquote, too big to fail. Um, but it's not shocking to me at all. It's actually probably expected at this point that the people who were involved with Epstein are the same people who are involved in almost all of the banking nonsense that goes on in this country. She also connects it to the Iran Contra thing, which is long been known as there's a big overlap uh, in the uh, uh, Iran Contra, Jeffrey Epstein in the banking world. So again, it's hard for me to believe that anybody, I mean, the only people who are, who've, who the only people who've been, so Jeffrey Epstein, who, uh, killed himself in the jail cell, Jean-Luc Brunel, who killed himself in a jail cell, and Ghislaine Maxwell, who's, you know, playing cricket down in Florida and her quote-unquote jail. Those are the only people who have been held accountable, if you will, and I'm guessing that really only Jean-Luc Brunel is dead, uh, 50-50 on the Epstein thing, and Maxwell, again, is playing cricket in Florida. So um, I don't expect Jamie Dimon to kill himself in a jail cell because I don't expect him ever to be in a jail cell. I don't expect him to be playing cricket, again, because I don't, I don't, I don't expect anybody to be held accountable for this, but w- when does the amount of information related from Epstein and the banking cartels and the intelligence agencies and all this thing, when does it become a, a point where the public just knows? And I mean, like I said, the media doesn't cover any of this, so they're not going to get it that way. So when does the enough information ever going to really matter? Do you think it ever gets to that point? Like that, I, to me, it's obviously long been there. Like I've like, okay, this is clearly all intertwined, connected. Like there's no doubt in my mind. But do people just not want to know, or do they because they don't care and they just you know want to be happy life, you know, ignorance is bliss kind of thing? I would think that people would be beyond upset knowing if this was all related. Yeah, I think that to answer your question, it's going to take twenty years, give or take. So you're basically, all these people need to die. Uh, It's not that they need to die. It's that all the people that have so uh, condescendingly belittled you over the last 10 years that you've been trying to point this out are not really the ones that want to hear it. They're not the ones that want to acknowledge like, oh God, you were right about everything and I was wrong. So it's going to be on the ones who didn't take a strong opinion one way or the other, but were just like, oh, wow. And then as it becomes more and more overwhelming, more and more people accept that that actually is reality, and then that sort of shifts the um, Overton window about what is society ready to handle. And I think as the people that came down on the side of pro-bailout, pro-big banks, pro-all this other crap, and looked at the Ron Pauls of the world as a laughing stock not to be taken seriously, 
they need to sort of age out so they don't have the heaviest of influence on the Overton window that they do right now. That's probably fair. I mean, there's going to be an insulation from the intelligence-controlled media apparatus that is currently in in power um, that is going to filter enough information that I feel like it's just never... there's, there's always going to be dots where like, oh, that's interesting. But like people are not really going to go take that extra step and be like, oh, it actually is exactly what it looks like. So I don't know. Well, really, I wanted to bring this uh, topic up because I want everybody to go read uh, uh, Unlimited Hangout, The Rise of Jamie Dimon uh, by Whitney Webb. So um, do that. If you're not reading stuff by Whitney Webb, you're missing out. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's. You know, she gets dismissed a lot, but like when you when you just read it and you're like, okay, and then she gives you the reasons. You like go back and you can try to, you know, you can find articles that she's referencing yeah. all the time. They're they're out there still. So it's, I'd say there's at least a forty percent chance she's crazy, but it is so well researched, so well yeah. put together. And yes, yeah, she might be just what's the I don't remember the phrase anymore, but like seeing things that aren't there, seeing the ghosts that aren't actually there. It's entirely possible. Yeah, I, listen, I I, I'm, I'm sure I'm there. During COVID, I was there. I was like, okay, everything is a, 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 a either a PSYOP or a or some kind of control mechanism. So like, I, you know, I, I get, there's so much craziness and clown world out there that I can see people just being like, it's all broken. It's all, you know, yeah. it's the lizard people. I, I mean- I'm not ruling anything out. That, Are you ruling out the lizard people? Am I ruling out lizard people? Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm not even ruling out flat earth. Like, I'm not ruling out anything. I went down the point. flat earth thing. I couldn't make it work with my uh, suspicious observers uh, content. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. I, and the suspicious observers content is way stronger, like, I always feel based the need, in fact, I believe. so. I always feel the need to, like, do this whenever I mention that. I don't actually believe the earth is flat. I'm just saying, if it turns out in 50 years where they come out with, like, uh, oh, we're circled we in ice. Lied to, oh. uh, the earth really was flat the whole time. The extent of reaction I will be able to muster is, huh. Yeah. Well, I say it this way. I say, like, I don't, I don't believe anything. Like, if I get to the edge of the earth, I won't step off. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's how I know. I'll know. Like, uh, oh, they that's were right. To put I guess I'm not going any farther. So. Yeah, that's it. I, and here's the thing. Like, it's just based on the evidence that I've seen. Yeah, I believe the earth is round. But I'm, I'm also prone to the idea of, like, how much evidence have I ever really looked at? How much have I really gone down? And then it's this is the ultimate one for me of, why would you lie about that? Yeah. <laughs> like, of all the things that you could have, like, what would be the upside to this lie? Well, the, the, the lie is that it's a CIA PSYOP trying to discredit, you know, alternative medias and uh, free thinkers of uh, whatever. So they're trying to distract him with the flat earth stuff. Sure. That's the argument anyway. Whatever. I don't listen. That's like fine. I said, I couldn't make it. I, I tried. Like I, I'll drop all my, you know, I'll open mind to everything. I went for like maybe, maybe a month, maybe six weeks where I was trying to digest all the stuff that I could. And I just couldn't make it work with the, uh, the stuff that I had already believed stronger, I guess. Understandable. So I guess that's, yeah, that's it. They, if it turns out, it's like, all right, it's all been nonsense. And that's the case. I'm going to be like, all right. Because uh, same reason that I can't believe half the stuff that has come out to be true over the last 10 years has turned out to be true. Like, I can't fathom it. And the idea that I am now going to be certain about anything is not reality. Yeah. All right. So check out The Rise of Jamie Dimon and uh, let me know if you think the earth is flat. (laughs) What? In the comments. Leave us a comment. 
And let us know if you ever think Jamie Dimon is going to be in prison. I already know that answer, but all right, let's move on. Is this on. the time to bring up Giants? Uh, we can do that another time. time. Another time. Another time. COVID is over, Mr. Hughesong. Did you party? Is Did you party April like it's 1999? So President Joe Biden ends national COVID emergency after Congress acts. So Congress passed the law basically saying it was over and Biden signed it. There were still people who voted no that COVID was not over. It wasn't like a unanimous decision. I didn't go back through and see all the roll call because I'm sure like our two state senators voted keep the emergency, whatever. Like I didn't even bother checking. Um, but yeah, so uh, COVID is officially over. Hooray. We can go back to life as normal. No more masks. No more social distancing. Yeah. I, I mean, we are talking about, this is dated April 11th, 2023. It's amazing. Literally, COVID was over in June of 2020 in my mind. Like, it was over. Yeah. I was like, this is not a thing. Like, I, I'm not going to change anything that I do in my life other than not go to the job that won't let me there. <laughs> I mean, it was over with about the same time for me, but it was and, and I think you and I have discussed this at length, so we're on the same page of this. It's not that COVID's not real. It's not that people weren't dying from it or anything else. It, it was, was never an emergency. But it was just a very, very bad flu that was particularly heinous to the older people and the sick, and there was nothing that we were going to do to stop it. It was an aerosolized virus that was already in transmission. We were not going to be able to vaccinate ourselves out of it. We were not going to be able to mask ourselves out of it or socially distance ourselves in order to make any impact. So every time we tried a measure, we completely ignored all of the negative ramifications and then not only highlighted the whatever positives you could find, lied about them, exaggerated them to degrees that were just laughable. 180 degree, the wrong answer. They right. were... It, it was no longer ignorance. It was purposely constructed it that way. It was just a refusal to acknowledge a mistake by a lot of people, and they didn't work. It just it didn't. I, I wish that it was that simple. I wish that we could shut down the entire world for three weeks at a time with no negative consequences to any human being whatsoever. But it's not reality. And instead, deaths of despair went up, child but or morbidity went up. Like we did so much damage with our measures that by June, I think June is about the right month. You and I were discussing it at length. The show of like, we need to stop. This is crazy. There is no good reason. There is no good data to say that what we're doing is having any impact whatsoever. All we're seeing is seasonality. Like every other respiratory virus we've ever had is when people go inside, it spreads more. When people get outside, it spreads less. And so, everything we've done in the meantime, I mean, listen, some of the stuff that we did was so comically stupid. Like, you can only be outside. All right, so then we put tables outside. Cool, but it's a little chilly, so we put a roof over the top and we put the temporary walls up. Am I still outside? Yes. Okay. They took rims off basketball courts. That's the fun. Yeah, here in the they city. They shut down playgrounds. Yeah. They uh, 11, 1135 days to flatten the curve, Mr. Hewson. Do you remember the video of that that dude just jogging alone on the beach and the police officer like starts chasing him? <laughs> what are we doing? There was that one lawyer down in Florida who dressed up like the Grim Reaper and went up to people on the beach minding their own business to tell them they were gonna die of COVID. Like, we lost our minds so spectacularly over that. It was wild. And we had a conversation on the show at the time about if you gave me the option to trade the seasonal flu for COVID, I might do it because the flu kills kids and, and COVID did not. So it was like, ah, I get it's a higher mortality rate for the older people and the people that are very ill, but for the young and for children, it is significantly less mortality. 
Well, you know what did work, Mr. Husung? Nothing. Bribing your primary care physicians to get the vaccine. Whoa, whoa, ended, whoa. Ended COVID. We call that incentives, okay? Bribery. That's not bribery. Let me, let me read Mr. Thomas Massey's. I basically just quote tweeted his, this exact thing. Your primary care provider was bribed to suggest you should take the COVID vaccine. So I don't know if this is related, but Anthem was just hacked like three or four days ago. Like their database was hacked. Anthem Insurance or whatever. Yeah. So I don't know if this is a byproduct of that hack or whatnot, but here is a, looks like an internal document of some uh, kind of, uh, you know, for providers of, uh, at Anthem. I don't know, is this Blue Cross Blue Shield? Yeah. So COVID-19 vaccine provider incentive program. You guys can see this. So this is a, uh, the results will be calculated. This is a uh, uh, two time period, September 1st, 21. And December 31st, 2021. So the final, these are two different uh, time periods where basically these healthcare providers, these uh, primary care physicians were being incentivized, i.e. bribed to administer vaccines. Uh, And just to make it uh, more lucrative for the uh, uh, primary care physicians, the more you got, the more the, the, the shot what well, wasn't like a flat like twenty hey twenty dollars every time you get a you know vaccine kind of thing nope that was only if you get twenty dollars if you had thirty percent of your members vaccinated but if you got forty percent of your vac- vaccinated members then it was forty five dollars fifty percent it was seventy dollars this is per member so per dose here at sixty percent you got a hundred dollars at seventy five percent you got one hundred twenty five so it was ramping up as you. The more successful, quote unquote, successful you were at bri- at convincing your uh, members to get vaccinated, you were making a serious uh, side racket uh, to ensure that these vaccines were administered to as many people as possible. So, you know, I don't have like a, a, a nobody's writing about this. So we're just going to talk about it here. I didn't see any articles mentioning this at all, other than the fact that they were hacked. So this seems like a bad public health policy? No? Uh, listen, you could follow the science, you could follow the money, you can follow the leader, but ultimately you follow incentives and incentives generally work out. If you follow the incentives, you get the answers and everything makes sense. So if, if you want to understand how this works and you're talking about vaccinations between September and December of 2021, so they've completed the vaccination, became available like end of December, early January of 2021. Mm-hmm. By by the time this was rolling out, we had, I'm not going to say completely conclusive, but overwhelmingly strong data that indicated the vaccines did not stop spread whatsoever. That did not actually prevent. And again, this is where we got into the lies about they kept exaggerating the threat to people about, well, it reduces your risk of severe illness. All right, cool. If I'm already at a one in a million chance of severe COVID and then you bring it down to a one in two million, but my risk of side effects from the vaccine go through the roof, I don't think that's a good trade for me as a as a healthy adult. And I'm going to put healthy in air quotes. God knows I could take better care of myself. But healthy-ish, all right? I got no major issues. Um, this is, again, if you want to do this, this is fine. This document should not be leaked. If I go to see my doctor and my doctor is getting paid by anybody, 
in order to incentivize me to take a medicine. I want to know you're getting compensated by this. Listen, I, I do financial planning for a living. I tell my clients, yes, I charge you 1%. I, the more that I do, the more money I make. If I make you money, I make money. If we do put some money into annuities or life insurance, I make a commission. That's it. It's not hard. It's just tell people. I get paid for this. If you don't want it, fine, but I still think you should have it even if it's not with me. And if that's what the doctors were doing, that's fine. But when you do it this way, it's dirty. And I know that's the way our healthcare system works. It's just not right. All right, if you want to do that, then at least have the common decency of disclosure. At least be able to say, hey, put this up in the office so that every patient who walks in the door can see it. And then I know, okay, at least I get where the incentive is coming from now. Because now I understand if you get X amount of people vaccinated, you're going to make $200,000 instead of 100000 I don't know if that's going to sway my, I mean, obviously for me, it would, it would impact. That's not true. I wouldn't have cared either way. I wouldn't have taken it. But it is, it could have been, it, it's just informed consent. Like it, it, you should know what the doctor is looking at before they give these things to you. Have I mentioned how much respect I have lost for doctors over the last four years? Uh, yes. And Holy crap. Uh, probably not enough. I know. It's bad. Yeah. I, I've said this a couple times and, you know, as, you know, now I'll hear stories or whatever, but like, I didn't go to the doctor for like 15 years, like straight. And then I went because I got it into health insurance. I went to the, I went once and she was like, you know, and I had to, you know, fill out a questionnaire or whatever. And one of the things, would you, do you have any of these in the last whatever years? And one of them was whooping cough. So I clicked it. I, I, I said this on the air before, but I'll repeat it here. So when she was reading through my chart, she's like, oh, it says you had whooping cough. Do you want to get the vaccine for whooping cough? And I looked right at her. I was like, no, I had whooping cough. <laughs> and she looked at me like I had three eyes. So I'm a back since. I was like, why, why am I doing this? Like, there's no reason for me to go there. I go there once and she tries to give me a vaccine for something I have natural immunity for. Yeah, she no longer is the practice. Not because of that, but I listen. When I I go to the VA for most of my healthcare stuff at this point, which I don't go very often, but I just like show up. Like, how you doing? Like, oh, okay, whatever. Health history, any change? No, no, I'm good. Everything's fine. Okay. And have you gotten? When was your last boost? Oh wait, never mind. Did Did you really not get vaccinated? Like, no. Yeah, I'm one of the blue bloods. Thank you. <laughs> She's like, would you Would you like to? Like, I think you know the answer by this point. Yeah. <laughs> Like, why bother us? It wasn't a lack of opportunity that's right. the reason I'm not vaccinated. Let's be clear. Like, I've heard about it. Right. I've heard all the things. Vaguely familiar that I could have come here and gotten it for free. I literally got a letter from the Department of Veterans Affairs that says it was my duty as a veteran to go get my COVID-19 vaccine. And I didn't know whether I should laugh or be pissed. Both. Yes. Like, just, it was the, that's the outright dismissal I'm talking about. Of It's my patriotic duty to end this pandemic by getting a vaccine that won't stop me from getting it or spreading it seriously just go to hell I, like go away sit down please stop talking and then i'm supposed to buy into this from here on out like whatever you tell me i'm supposed to just go oh, oh well you're the doctor you have the what you got it like you just tried to convince me to take something that i didn't need whatsoever and then i find out that you actually were getting incentivized to offer that to me through monetary compensation yeah and a lot and not a little bit not a, a little bit of yeah, money that's there's some serious bucks were made there. So, um, I don't think I, I don't think I pulled it up, but, uh, Elgato Malo, uh, posted on Substack something to the effect of, I wish we could get a, 
uh, breakdown of vaccines administered by those who had incentive programs and those who didn't just to see uh, where the majority of the administered uh, vaccines came from. Wouldn't that be curious? Hmm. I bet that study will never be conducted. (laughs) So when I started off in financial advising, I worked for a company that was an insurance-based financial planning, financial advising company. I'm going to let them remain nameless. But it was a big push towards annuity products. Variable annuities tend to have very high fees, but but offer very high commissions. And they tend to offer more protection for the customer than, than what would normally be had. Um, but you're paying for every bit of that protection. And so we used to go to sales trainings where I didn't notice it at first because you just don't know what you don't know. So the first like three years, I was with that company for three years. And for three years, I probably wrote 30 to 50 annuity contracts a year. And then I started to pay attention. I was making pretty decent money. I was certainly making more money than I had ever made before. So I was like, oh, all right, and all these guys around me were all successful and they were happy, their clients were happy, they loved them. And I was like, I, I felt like I was doing the right thing. And then it wasn't until I started realizing that all of the trainings they did on sales were basically teaching you how to sell one without ever saying the word annuity and how to answer the question, is this an annuity? Instead of just saying yes, of like working around it. And then it was like, ooh, well, wait a minute. Why are we doing that? Why are we trying not to use that word? What What is the purpose of this? And then it turned out as I got more and more into it, I talked to some people that were not um, marching to the beat of that drum of like, why do you do this way? And they laid out of like, look, here's the reality. If you go and write these things, you get paid a lot of money up front, but you get paid nothing next year. Okay. So yeah, it feels good in the year, but now next year you got to go and find all these people again, versus if you just go into a, what we call a managed platform of charge 1%, you don't make a lot up front, but you make it every single year. So it builds, if you want to build a career, this is how you do it. You want to know why they do this? Because when they land all this money, they expand their life, they expand their expenses. Then all of a sudden they can't repeat that year because they've gone through the family, the friends, and the easy ones that they could actually move the money into. Right. Now they're not getting paid on this for seven years. And so in that seven-year frame, they get out of the business and that money stays here. Because it's not in your best interest. It's not in your client's best interest. It's in theirs. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so dirty. So I literally had to go to my clients and apologize. Like, hey, this was wrong. I, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize it at the time, but now I know this was not okay. And I apologize to you. I will fix this as soon as we can move it. We're going to move it. Family, friends, clients. I was having that conversation and it sucked. Most of them understood. And were like, look, we get it. You'll, you'll take care of it. No problem. But it was still uncomfortable. Sure. And so I look at what's going on. I know I'm not a doctor. I mean, I do have a Juris doctorate degree, so I'm also not some uneducated swine. And I, I was just in because... I didn't know what questions I should have been asking. I only understood, you know, 8% of what I was trying to understand instead of understanding 100. So I I just couldn't grasp that there was that much to it. So I think if I look at the doctors and the incentives, the incentives work. You want to know why I wrote the annuities? This is what everybody around me was doing. It's what everybody was telling me to do. It's what the most successful people I had ever seen in my life were telling me to do. And that's how they did it. So I was like, oh, okay. I guess that's the right thing. And I was so good for the clients and it was so good. And it wasn't until I don't remember what exactly was the straw that, that kind of broke the camel's back, but all of a sudden it was like, wait, 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 wait. This job has incredibly high turnover. Nobody's here anymore. Nobody lasts five years. Like something's amiss. And then I started diving in and being like, oh my God, it's so much worse than I realized. And I've been doing it. 
So it doesn't matter if they're smart people. You could still fall into this because it's what everybody's around you doing it. I mean, it's just crazy. But if you think doctors are above this, I promise you they're not. Like they're, they're going to be, they're going to follow the incentives. Yeah. And, you know, this is, again, one provider, but I'm guessing this is, you know, this incentive program was available everywhere. No insurance company does something that other insurance companies don't also do. It's that yeah. simple. So yeah. I would venture to guess we'll get more documents in the near future about how other companies were also doing this. And no, insurance isn't a big business of risk takers. All right. It's not, that's not what they do. They are essentially bean counters. They calculate on how many people are going to die and how much money is it going to cost us when and if they do die. Yeah. Well, if we get any new uh, info on this, we'll pass it along to the folks uh, on another show. So, all right, let's wrap it up here. I don't know if, where we rank this story in the uh, grand stories of stories, I guess. But uh, before we get into this, I want to remind everybody one more time to please like and share the video, subscribe to the channel, and leave us a uh, rate and review on the uh, podcast service where you're listening to us here. Make sure you pull over and do that safely. Sure. Because we need you for the next show. Absolutely. So last week we talked about the leaked Pentagon documents, Mr. Hughesong, and kind of what they showed and what they meant and whatnot. So... Less than a week later, Attorney General, we have a uh, arrested Air National Guardsman from Massachusetts, uh, who apparently was in the uh, intelligence wing of the uh, uh, Air National Guard, but arrested. He was an E3 airman in the Air National Guard, for those of you keeping track at home. Yeah, I don't know what that means, so you can elaborate when need be, but um, I'm not sure that I'm doing any disservice, but... uh, uh, his name is Jack Teixeira. I'm going to say Teixeira because of Mark Teixeira. I agree. Yeah. I heard it pronounced a, with the X, with a, a, a silent X, whatever. I'm just going to roll with Teixeira. So apparently this guy, and now some of the things that we learned, or I learned at least, uh, since last show was there's upwards of 300 documents. First, I had heard 100 documents, and most people only have about 50. So there's 300, there's hundreds of documents that we, that, we don't know yet what they've shown. Yeah. Um, apparently, the Washington Post has them. Weird. We'll get back to that and in a second. they're not publishing them. Well, yeah, which is crazy. Um, we'll get to the media angle of this uh, as the second part of this. But, I mean, there was no way this guy wasn't going to be arrested. I mean, it didn't seem like he was uh, overly careful. And, you know... I think uh, maybe we could have a talk about whether or not, because, uh, you know, he's being labeled as a leaker in some media outlets or most media outlets. He's being a whistleblower in some media outlets. Um, I don't know if you listened to or read the transcript of one of the members of the Discord server who was interviewed by the Washington Post. Apparently, the Washington Post and the New York Times did all the bidding for the inter- intelligence state and the security state and just went after these, went after this dude with the full force of their investigative journalism teams, I guess. Still haven't, as you pointed out, haven't reported actually the information in the leaked documents, which seems to be like the uh, most important part. Um, They basically just wanted to get their guy. And so, and I guess that, you know, I'm not like who this guy is, is newsworthy. I'm not trying to say that they shouldn't be reporting on who the guy is, but literally 
the information in the documents is the substantive part of this whole discussion and nobody's having it. Um, but anyway, so initial thoughts on the arrest. Um, again, we'll get into the media angle of it as we uh, talk about this, but, uh, you know, I think this is a foregone conclusion from last week. I mean, I, you know, either he was going to show up, you know, like the guy with the Belgium AI chat bot, or he was going to be arrested, right? It was going to be one of those two things. Yeah, it was. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Give your initial takes on the uh, arrest of uh, E3 Jack Teixeira. All right, so here's a couple of things that don't add up to me. Number one, the fact that he is an E3 without any specific uh, security clearance means he didn't have access to these. For context, E3 in the Air Force is equivalent of being a private first class in the Army. It's like the highest ranking it's like the highest rank that means absolutely nothing. There's nothing expected of you. You don't have to do shit. You are just told. You follow orders, and that is all you do if you are an E1, 2, or 3. E3 means like, all right, you've been around a little bit longer, and we think you might be up for promotion in the not-too-distant future, so we'll start giving you a little bit more responsibility. But ultimately, you're still a nothing. You are a grunt that can be sent, shot, killed, died, whatever. Nobody cares. They don't tell you anything. You don't know anything. You just shut up and follow orders. That's your job. And I get he worked in IT. Fine. Still doesn't have access to look at the substantive materials that he was posting. So, number one, that doesn't... Or at least make, shouldn't. That doesn't make any sense that he had access to these and then leaked them. That just... That does not line up whatsoever. Number two. Not 100% sure he was looking to be a whistleblower. Uh, from what I can gather, there's at least a reasonable chance... This dude was just talking shit with his friends and was like, I can prove it that, they, that, that this is the way it's going and like just shared it. Not meaning to like knock the cover off of everything and be like, expose the Biden administration's lies on Ukraine. It was more like, yeah, guys, we're definitely in Ukraine. And like, no, we're not. Like, bro, I got papers right here. Look, not like some noble whistleblower like trying to win an argument on 4chan while playing video games. So I... At least a chance. I'm not saying that's definitively true. Maybe this dude is, you know, Edward Snowden 2.0. It's not the impression I get right off the bat. Number three, if you are shocked to learn that things are not going terribly well in Ukraine, you probably haven't been listening to the show very long. Um, the same way that everything was going well in Afghanistan from 2001 right up until 2020. We never had a bad year. Everything was, we were kicking ass and taking names. Efficiency. Man, we were rooting out terrorism. We were taking the fight to them so they didn't bring it to us over here. We were we were getting everything. That was the war worth fighting. That was the right war. Yeah. And then the Pentagon Papers. Well, they weren't called that. What were they? The, the, I think yeah, the Pentagon said, Papers were yeah, released. Yeah. And essentially everybody in command was like, yeah, we have no idea what we're doing here. We're just spinning things uh, and, and shooting, shooting poor minorities. That's it. That's all we got. So they lie. This is what they do. This is not new for them. And they want you to believe that this is going well. Same with Ukraine because, you know, we've only given them about $100 billion worth of money and equipment. So far. God forbid that the average taxpaying citizen just went, hey, what are we getting for an ROI here? What, what's the return on investment looking like? Well, most of the army is desecrated with the exception of the real true blue Nazis. They seem to be at least maintaining 
Uh, but overall, Ukraine's getting trounced because Russia has a military that is something to the effect of three times the size of Ukraine's. Their technology is better than Ukraine's, and they have an air force that I think is something to the effect of 100 times larger than Ukraine's. I know not everybody's a military strategist by nature or by hobby, myself included. But, you know, I spent some time, and here's what I learned. Those things kind of matter. If you have air superiority and you can control the high ground at all times, odds of success go up dramatically. If you outnumber the other force three to one, your odds of success go up dramatically. And if you have the technological edge, your odds of winning go up drastically. So when you take all of those things combined, how shocked do you want me to be? So let me uh, read some from the, uh, uh, this is from the Washington Post article, I believe, uh, talking about, and they, they refer to uh, Teixeira as OG. This is, uh, again, one of the other members in the Discord talking about what you were talking about, whether or not he was a whistleblower or not. Um, and so this is, uh, again, another member of the same Discord referring to the leaker. He expressed anti-government sentiment, but they did not believe he was trying to help foreign power, and they think he was trying to show off. Uh, if you had classified documents, you'd want to flex at least a little bit like, Hey, I'm a big guy. One member said later, I would definitely not call him a whistleblower. I would not call you a whistleblower in the slightest. So I agree with that in the sense that he wasn't purposely seeking out, uh, the media per se to report on said documents, but he was whistleblowing to the people in the members, right? I mean, he was basically saying, hey, we're doing a bunch of stupid shit and here are the documents to prove we're doing a bunch of stupid shit. So is he blowing the whistle to the right people? No. I mean, not to actually get results. You know what I mean? Right. That being said, I mean, you're clearly you wouldn't go to the Washington Post or the New York Times with those documents and think you were going to get whistleblowing protections or anything like that either because Washington Post, even though they printed Edward Snowden documents, still called for his arrest and detainment. So it's not like they're some kind of noble uh, people either. No. So who do you, I mean, listen, you could have come to SCAP. I mean, we would have vetted the documents and for sure. brought in some people and whatever. But there's, I guess my point is, and it's growing, but there is a limited number of places where a whistleblower would comfortably go and to actually find someone to report on the substance of the documents, which is why Edward Snowden tried to do this, went to Glenn Rewald on the side because he was like, I'm not going to the, to the press. They're not going to do anything. And he was right about this. I think this kind of, this whole scenario is uh, more confirmation of that since, again, the Washington Post and the New York Times cared about tracking down the leaker but had no interest in reporting any of the parts of the the lies that have been exposed by the documents right it seems as though the media and I, this has long been known by me and was why i haven't watched them since 2012 at least um like they work for the government they are stenographers um they are what elon would refer to as state affiliated media even if they're not getting like the washington post and the new york times and all these abc cbs nbc msnbc even fox and uh all these channels have intelligence guests like they're not even it's not even like back in the day they would be like you know anonymous source official says this whatever now they're just on tv being like yeah i'm a former spook and here's what i think like i'm supposed to take that as some kind of credible take here so i mean this is a failure of the media i think more than like i listened to the press corps 
go after the the uh, I don't know if it was uh, the D- Kirby there from the DOD. I think it was. Um, every question was. How are you going to stop more leaks from happening? How are you going to change your protocol so that leaks don't happen from these people? How does a 21-year-old get access to these files? Not anything about what's actually in the thing that Ukraine wants to target Russia deep and wants long-range missiles so they can actually launch them into Russia. Like the fact that uh, Zelensky and the are, are operating outside of, I mean, we clearly know this. We're spying on our allies during this whole time because we know that they're doing stuff that they don't say we're doing to us so nobody cares about actually what's being exposed in the documents they just care that they got their guy yeah it's really sad i mean i I long again i thought media was over but it is over over now i mean let me read this from uh this is from antiwar.com written by uh thomas knapp in theory journalism's job is to inform the public in practice mainstream journalism has and for at least the last few decades largely become the government's stenography pool reliably reporting every official assertion as fact and seldom asking pointed questions about any subject more than which politician has been having sex with which porn star right so they go after the sensationalism they go after the the stuff that doesn't really matter sure other than creating the narrative that they want of you know left versus right or Republican versus Democrat or whatever. Um, they are just an extension of the, uh, the government apparatus at this point. And For sure. uh, there is no longer a, well, I think the rise of independent media is becoming the fourth estate. Um, whether or not it actually gets to the point where uh, they can have a huge impact. I mean, we're getting there. I think there are, you know, there's enough, now, uh, independent journalists, uh, the Matt Taibis of the world and the Glenn Greenwells of the world, who've kind of gone off on their own and do their own thing, the Aaron Mates of the world, who are still doing legitimate journalism, they, again, they don't get the traction in front of the public eyes that, nope, they don't, they, you know, they don't get asked on NBC and And, you know, Glenn Greenwald used to be a regular guest of MSNBC when he was attacking the Bushes. Same with Aaron Mate, but, oh, we have a uh, different version of events going on. We don't want to hear that anymore. Go away, go do your own thing. So, yeah, like when Barack Obama continued the exact policies that they used to complain about on yeah. CNBC, and then they went tried to go back on and be like, he's doing it. They were like, how dare you, sir? Why are you racist? Like Obama's kids for, in kids in cages? Yeah. Like, but it then became Trump's kids. Like, it wasn't... How about the fact that when Obama was president, we ran out of bombs? Like, do you... Can you fathom the number of bombs that were being dropped for the United States government to run out? Like, they literally... We hit a point where they were like, Drop more bombs, and they had to go back. Imagine being the guy who had to go back to the president and be like, sir, we need like a week or two. Like, why? We kind of ran out. Like, huh. I didn't think that was possible. Like, yeah, this particular one for the drone that you keep ordering, we didn't anticipate this many bombs being dropped, even in our wildest dreams, so we didn't have enough made. So we're going to get on it right away, though, sir, and we'll, we'll start dropping those bombs ASAP. Good for you, soldier. That's yeah. that's crazy, and then if you criticized it, it was like you were dismissed by all of the. Well, you were you were uh, helping the terrorists. Yes, yeah, yeah. It was weird how all of a sudden that trans that transitioned over, and it's not for the betterment. That's the biggest problem I have with all this. Of like, I, we need the independent journalists. We need them. I don't expect a lot out of the Washington Post or New York Times, especially given their histories, but, but. When the leaked documents are literally handed to you, when you are investigating a leaker that the FBI is apparently not even caught yet or the DOD has not caught yet. Yeah, the New York Times put put out his name first before the FBI. <laughs> like, 
wait a minute. I thought your job was, especially if the data that's being leaked is relevant. Like, guys, if we have troops on the ground in the Ukraine, which, I don't know, gun to my head, probably, but you prove that and you prove we've been lying about it, that should be something that is big news. That just just as a, a quick aside to that, I... Uh, maybe I mentioned this on the show, I can't remember, but uh, the first time I had ever met uh, Congressman Brandon Williams in uh, uh, in person, he kind of pulled me aside and asked me what I cared about, whatever, and uh, I mentioned monetary policy and auditing the Fed and foreign policy and Ukraine, and he literally stopped me and was like, listen, there will be no U.S. troops in Ukraine, right? So I sent him a screenshot of the classified documents, and I was like, you told me once there will be no troops in Ukraine. What are you going to, you know, when are you going to be leading an, invest, an investigation into this illegal war? I, I haven't, didn't get a response from that. That's but so weird. I will keep asking that question. So, it's, Right, we're, like the way that we go to war forever was Congress declares war and the president signs off. Now it's whatever the president feels like doing, we just drop troops. And I get there's an efficiency aspect to that, but if you can't acknowledge the risk that that runs, then you're just blinding yourself out of patriotic yeah, Listen, they can't have the people revolting. That's what happened when we tried. When Obama said he was gonna, we were going to invade Syria, the people actually decided, uh, no, we're not. No. And so now that stuff doesn't even get brought up anymore. Nobody's asking the questions whether or not we're doing We're just doing it. We, we don't tell anybody. We don't ask anybody. We just go ahead and do it. So... Listen, I, you know, the fact that this uh, uh, war in Ukraine is going as poorly, if, if in fact it is going as poorly as the documents suggest it's going, uh, only a, I don't want to use the word surge, but a surge of U.S. military would change the outcome of this war at this point. Like, sure. it's, everybody can see, now the writing is literally on the wall. Everybody can see it, and... We've been being lied to for whatever months we've been in this conflict, and nobody wants to report on the actual fact that our government's been lying to us during yeah. this whole time. They'd rather just out the guy who showed that they were lying. This is the what world we live in. Total normal reaction. Yeah. All right. Well. Good lord. Anything else, Mister Hughesong? No, I'm curious to see what the rest of these documents shape up to look like. We're though. never going to see any of those. Come on. Zero chance. It's got it. I mean, on listen, the internet. It, so uh, if. Anybody out there in the Thug Shaker Central, that's the name of the Discord server. Got it. Anybody, any member out there who's watching the show right now, feel free to uh, DM me. We'll figure out a way to uh, signal those documents. And uh, if you've taken screenshots, maybe. Maybe you <laughs> downloaded them and you're like, I'm going to keep these for someday when Bro, I'm going to need. I got to give you fair warning here. Like they're trying to throw a dude in prison for 10 years for memes about an election. You just asking that is probably some federal offense. Of no, I don't think so. <laughs> if they're out there, they're out there. It's fair. Send, send them our way. I mean, you're about to I'm, have the FBI kicking down the front door for soliciting <laughs> Intel leaks. They're literally in this box. So <laughs> they all know. All right. Anything else? No. Anything uplifting good. you want to, to share the share with the folks? Touch grass. Get outside. Yeah. Avoid the AI wherever it's possible. Right. And just get some human to human interaction. And I'll, and I'll wish everybody a happy four twenty, on uh, was it Thursday? I guess when so. It comes up. I could do the same, but it would feel disingenuous coming from me. Yeah, probably would be. So, all right. On that note, thank you all for tuning in for another episode of uh, Sports Clicks and Politics. I, uh, we'll be here again next Monday, twelve p.m. Tell all your friends and family. We'll see you then.